Hi, everybody. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to episode number 193. Um, okay, today uh, we're dealing with chapter 3 of Acts. And what happens today is uh, Peter heals a man and then he uses that healing to explain to the to the nation of Israel remember this is just shortly after Christ's crucifixion death and resurrection uh, 50 days later we have Pentecost and this is uh, just after Pentecost and we're at that time of a shift in the nation of Israel where remember I explained that, the way the Jewish faith had fallen away from God is that they had begun to worship the law itself and not the Father, and they worshiped the ceremony of the faith and not the Father. And there were, of course, the laws that God handed down to Moses, but the priests began to write their own law and they began to fall far, far away from their faith. So far that uh, they literally crucified their prophesied Savior and Messiah. And uh, what Peter will do is, is first in today's chapter 3 of Acts is really a pivotal point uh, for the nation of Israel uh, in, in leading them towards uh, their salvation through the message of the cross. And that's what Peter explains. First, he, 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 <laughs> he chastises them very well for what they had done. And then he explains that, hey, you know, what you guys did was actually out of ignorance because you didn't recognize that, that Jesus was the prophesied uh, Messiah. Uh, remember, they were expecting this this grand military man to come and just knock down uh, the Roman military that had an iron grip on the nation of Israel. And, and Peter teaches them that, well, instead of depending on the law and the ceremonies, you need to recognize that you, every one of you, and me, meaning Peter, and me, meaning the good friar or Patrick, we're all sinners. Uh, we're all living in this stained vessel of flesh. And Peter wanted them to know that you have to hear the message of the cross, and that message is salvation through Jesus Christ. But you must truly repent, and repentance repentance affects your core. It reaches truly repenting, reaches into the innermost depths of your soul. And when you truly let go of the fact that you are far, far from perfect, and, and you're missing something and that's something that you're missing 
as the love, the agape love of a God who loves you like you're the only person in the world. Once you let that in, the Holy Spirit, once you repent and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit, the seed of the Holy Spirit is planted inside you. And you grow that seed within you by meditating on the Word, by reading the Word, by studying the Word. The Word is that wellspring of life that bubbles up inside of you in the form of the Holy Spirit. And when you grow your Holy Spirit in you, the Holy Spirit will be that beacon of light that guides you how to live a life of love with other people. Even those that persecute you. As I said, I've been betrayed by people that I love dearly, but I have fully forgiven them. And to repent is to fully change yourself. To repent is to admit that you're a sinner and that you don't want to be a sinner. You renounce your sinful ways. True faith is, is having repented. You turn your life fully. You turn that steering wheel of life fully towards God. You, you turn that car of your life, that motorcycle of your life, on a path that's lit by the light of the Holy Spirit and the light of Jesus Christ. And you drive down that road through the love and the guidance and the glorious gift of his Holy Spirit. And, and you dedicate yourself to living that life of righteousness. Chapter 3 in Acts is that time in human history when we as a people who were created by Yahweh, Elohim, El Eloah, Elion, by God, Aye, Asher, Aye. And the people that fell away from that faith in God, God knows, and he knew then, he always knows, God lives outside of time. Time means nothing to, the, to God. He, he lives in the future, he lives in the past, he lives in the present, all simultaneously. But for us as human beings created by God, chapter 3 in Acts is the time when the apostles that Christ left behind speak to people and let them know, hey, this is how God wanted you to worship. You failed. God gave you your way out. Your way out was the prophesied prophet Messiah, Jesus Christ. In chapter 3 of Acts, Peter actually quotes some scriptures to show them that. Look, Jesus was and is the Messiah that you were waiting for, but you missed it. 
You didn't see it. It's an example, one of many, of hardened hearts. And a hardened heart is one that has fallen so far away from God, you cannot see the truth. You're blind to it. You cannot hear the truth. You're deaf to it. People could show you the light right in front of your eyes, and you wouldn't even know it's there. And Jesus Christ was the light that walked among these people of Israel at this time in history, and they missed it. And that's okay, and that's what Peter tells them. It's okay that you missed it. God knew that you were going to miss it. He prophesied that you were going to miss it. It's okay. Okay, it's okay. And then you'll see that Peter changes his tone a little bit after he chastises them and says, look, this is the way the faith was and the way now for you and for all people in the world for all people who will ever come in the future, the way that they can be saved is through the message of the cross. The only way you can achieve salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ. And in a way, this man, this lame man that you're going to hear about, uh, it's like it was divine by God that Peter would come across this man and heal him. And he says, look, I'm not the guy that healed this man. God is. Okay. Through faith in Jesus Christ, this man who uh, I think he was something like 40 years old, uh, he'd never walked a day in his life. But Peter reached out his hand and said, look, stand up. And the man walks and he jumps. And that's just a small sample of the power of God. All life was breathed through Jesus Christ as, well, if you haven't heard my previous lessons, we'll get to it in John again. Fantastic gospel, John. But Acts is fantastic. Well, it's Acts is faith in action through the apostles. We begin with Peter, and uh, then we'll get to Paul in action. And Paul is just fantastic. And they all teach the same lesson in Acts. Repentance. You must repent. The only way you can ever reach the truth and the truth is Jesus Christ. He is the word. He is the life. He is the light. The only way you can reach Jesus Christ is to repent. And once you truly repent and accept him as your Lord and Savior, you're on your path to eternal life with the Father. And that's what this chapter is all about. And it's just a, it's just a great chapter. It, it, this lesson that, that Peter teaches is what every church should be teaching every day. Well, technically, churches should, should be like, well, what Christ did. I've told you that before. That, that temple or church should be just standing up and teaching the word every day. And just... 
That's what it should be for. And like Acts chapter 2, we went over. The way a church should be is is a, a communal, harmonious entity where everyone pulls together and helps everyone else. You don't go to church and say, oh, look, Bob is driving a car that's better than mine or Sam is living in a house that's bigger than mine. None of that matters at all. None of that matters. What matters is loving one another. And, uh, well, let's get to Acts chapter 3. Okay, uh, Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. Now, if you weren't familiar uh, before, uh, the way the Jewish faith worked is um, they had three daily times of prayer. Um, Let's see if I can remember. Uh, 9 a.m., noon, and uh, 3 p.m., okay? And uh, if they went to the 3 o'clock prayer, then, uh, you know, that was the last one of the day. Uh, 9 a.m. was the third hour of the day. Uh, Noon was the sixth hour of the day, and so forth. Uh, So they went to the 3 o'clock prayer service. Verse 2. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Now, the beautiful gate um, that they're talking about it was uh it's gone obviously now it'll be built again uh during the tribulation uh but it was just a large ornate gate that was inside the temple mount i've seen various depictions of what people think it it was like uh which are probably fairly accurate uh but it was inside the temple mount on the eastern side and it separated two courts One was the court of the Gentiles, and one was the court of the women. And they'll talk about Solomon's Columnade uh, in a little bit. Uh, Solomon's Columnade uh, is sometimes called Solomon's uh, Porch. Uh, But think of it as a portico. Uh, If you don't know what a portico is, think of it as a, a walkway that has columns on each side that has a roof over it. And they'll, they'll mention that in a little bit. And the portico is uh, uh, where Jesus actually, and well, we'll get to that. But Jesus announced that, well, we'll get to that. But let's continue. Um, where when he saw Peter and John about to enter and he asked them for some money. Oh, what this is talking about, asking for money. Uh, the way our, our faith is supposed to work is that... Um, Tithing is is not what you give. It's tithing is not yours. Uh, so if you go to a church, and I pray that you do, some church, 
um, when you go to a church, 10% of the money that you earn at your take-home pay, whatever it is, 10% of that automatically belongs to God. That's what you tithe. It's not yours. It belongs to God. So some people say, well, I tithe X. Well, I tithe X because that's how much I can write off on my taxes. Well, that has nothing to do with it. Uh, Everything you have belongs to God, and it's a test of your faith. Um, I've given many examples of your faith. For example, you're supposed to follow the laws of God, which we'll go over. Jesus said that he didn't come to replace the law. He came to fulfill the law. Okay, and so the Ten Commandments obviously are are something that you follow, for example. But tithing is another thing that God commands. It's not yours. It belongs to God. So if you give less than 10%, you're disobeying God. Now, when uh, this lame person sat at the beautiful gate, well, people that were uh, disabled— that's how they would get by at that time in, uh, in our world's history, in, in the nation of Israel. They would sit by uh, the temple, sit right out front of the temple. Why did they do that? Well, tithing is, is, is just automatic. It's like breathing. You shouldn't even think about it. You just take your check and you, you divide 10% and that's automatically God's. Well, almsgiving, A-L-M-S, almsgiving is is a good deed, okay? It's, it's another measure of your faith. So what you give as tithing is nothing. That's just breathing, okay? Doing good deeds, good works, which don't get you into heaven, it's just another sample of your faith, is giving alms. And so the reason these people would sit there is because when the people went into the temple, I'm going into God's temple. I want to show that I'm a, a, a good man of God. I'm a good steward of what God has given me. So I'm going to give to this person in need. And that's how they would get by. That's how they would get their money because they were physically disabled. And so that's what this lame person was doing. He was sitting there waiting for people to give alms. Verse 4, Peter and John looked at him intently. This is the lame person. And Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. As he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. Clearly a glorious miracle, uh, just like if, if Jesus were there with them. Well, that was the power of the Holy Spirit that, that Christ bestowed upon his apostles. And uh, boy, I would love to have seen miracles like that, because here's a man that was lame for 
something like 40 years and uh, uh, obviously lame from birth. And all of a sudden he can walk and jump. And uh, that's just the nature and the power of the Holy Spirit. For us, it might be difficult to believe because the Holy Spirit isn't in apostles today like it was uh, then in the, in the full force. All of us have the Holy Spirit within us. I felt the, uh, well, while what to me was the full force of the Holy Spirit once in my life, so August 15th, 2015, I was suffering from, I'm not going to say what, uh, but I was instantly healed. And it's not a joke. It's not bragging. But when the Holy Spirit touched me, I, I was, I was literally floored. I, 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 it was like the full force of love and, and almost fear at the same time where it shook me to my core. And I was, I, I cried like a baby. And I, I'm the kind of guy, I've seen things that uh, I normally don't cry. Ever since that day, I tear up a lot more. Uh, even sometimes when I'm teaching the word, I'll, I'll start crying. But I've, I've never been like that. Uh, but once the Holy Spirit touches you like that, you're, you're kind of changed for life. But uh, I, I felt that much of, of the Holy Spirit, and, and it overwhelmed me. But I, I would just love to see the Holy Spirit in, in action like that. That would just be a glorious thing. But Okay, so Peter uh, displayed uh, healing in a manner like that. And here's the thing. These people that were going to that temple had been going there their entire lives, and they had seen this lame man at the door waiting for the alms, uh, you know, every time they went to temple. And all of a sudden, seeing this man uh, walk and jump and, and, and praise, praise God like that would be something that would clearly not go unnoticed. Okay, so keep that in the back of your mind as we go. Here's this, this lame man that everybody knows that was healed, and he's standing before the people that uh, Peter is about to preach to. So uh, uh, they, they healed the lame man. Uh, verse 9, all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's columnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Now, uh, Solomon's columnade... Uh, uh, is the area where Christ taught uh, the parable of the Good Shepherd. Uh, one of my favorite ones. Great parable. Um, I think it's actually mentioned here, just for your reference, in John uh, uh, chapter 10. Uh, uh, yeah, let's just read just a little bit to refresh your memory. So let's start around uh, John 10 and 22. 
Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts, walking in Solomon's columnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Okay? So the reason I chose this uh, verse is because, well, uh, Solomon's columnade is mentioned specifically, but I also love, uh, I just love when, when Jesus speaks. Could you imagine being able to listen to Jesus teach? How, how beautiful would that be? Uh, I need to shut the, I'm looking at my monitor on the right, and whenever I start reading about Christ, it's, it's hard to stop. Okay, where were we? Back in Acts. Oh, this is good. Yeah. Uh, verse 12. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this, meaning the miracle, and why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. Well, remember, um, Peter here is addressing a Jewish audience. And um, uh, the description of God that he used, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, would be familiar to his audience. For example, um, what's a good, ex oh, Exodus would be good for that. Yeah, let, let's, let's see where this came into play. Oh, uh, Moses in the burning bush. Uh, where is that? Exodus 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. 
Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery and so forth. Uh, you know the rest of that. If you don't, we'll get to that shortly. We're going to Genesis next, and we'll see where we go from there. Okay, so what Peter was doing is using a familiar description of God. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of the ancestors of the Jewish faith. Now, remember, if you're a Christian, you're also a Jew. Okay, Our God is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The only difference is we believe that Jesus Christ is the prophesied prophet and Messiah, our Savior, because he is. And when Christ comes back in all his glory, uh, everybody else is going to know it too. Okay? So let's continue in Acts, back uh, in the middle of verse thir 13. This, now see what, what, what Peter's going to do here. He's going to chastise them because um, uh, they didn't recognize uh, their Messiah, our Messiah, when he was there. Pardon me for taking a drink. So uh, first, uh, Peter says, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, God of, who brought his servant Jesus by doing this. Okay, to continue. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy, righteous one, and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. Now, remember, um, Pilate wanted to release Jesus. He never wanted to crucify him. Uh, as a matter of fact, he declared him innocent, um, I think it's a total of six times, if you look through all of the Gospels. And, and he repeatedly wanted to release him. Uh, remember, uh, Pilate eventually uh, washed his... Well, first, Pilate sent him off to uh, King Herod Antipas. Okay, uh, uh, Herod Antipas had always wanted to meet Christ. And he did, and Herod Antipas couldn't find anything wrong with him. So he sent him back to Pilate, and Pilate again said, Hey, uh, this man hasn't done anything wrong. Uh, you know, I'll whip him and, and let him go. He wanted to let him go. But the nation of Israel just repeated again and again and again, Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And since it was Passover, Pilate could release a criminal. And he says, hey, I'll, I'll just let him go. And they said, give us Barabbas. And Barabbas had, had actually committed some of the crimes that, that uh, Christ was, was uh, accused of. He actually tried to incite a rebellion. 
you know, and he actually had murdered. Uh, but they again said, crucify, crucify, crucify. And Pilate literally washed his hands, and he was washing his hands saying, uh, I, I don't have this man's blood on my hands. So remember, Pilate wanted to let him go. Um, but the priests, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, even the Sanhedrin, uh, just uh, you know, the high priest uh, uh, said, crucify him. And so uh, Pilate did. But remember, uh, all of that had to happen because God and God's prophets had, had uh, prophesied uh, that it would occur. That uh, Anyway, so what, what uh, Peter is doing here is he's calling them out. He's saying, hey, you know, you guys did that. Okay, now to continue. Uh, verse 16. Uh, so Peter said, uh, we are witnesses of this fact, meaning Peter and John were there. Uh, they witnessed that, uh, and they're letting them know. Verse 16, through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Okay, so Peter's calling out the fact, uh, you know, he, he's chastising them. But, but now watch this shift here, okay? He's pointing out the fact that they missed their Messiah. But watch his shift. He, he's trying to bring them home to God. Watch how he does it. Verse 17. Friends. I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. Let's uh, just pull up one... Uh uh, one prophecy. Uh, what would be the good? Let's use Zechariah for this. Uh, Zechariah 12 and 10. Uh, yeah, this is a good one. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. On that day, the weeping in Jerusalem will be as great as the weeping of Hadad Rahman and the plain of Megiddo. The land will mourn, each clan by itself, with their wives by themselves. The clan of the house of David and their wives, the clan of the house of Nathan and their wives. The, well, that's enough. Uh, but, but you get the idea there. There are, there are many, many prophecies. Okay. 
Verse 19, excuse me. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Now let's stop here for just a minute. The, the, the nation of Israel, the Jewish faith, was used to the shedding of blood as a mean to atone for sins. Okay? That was part of their ceremony. Um, it, uh, God himself said that the life is in the blood. Uh, God himself decreed that the way you atone for sins is the shedding of blood. And remember uh, how I've taught you before that uh, if God was going to devise a way to, to atone for the sins of all of mankind uh, for times past and times present and times future, uh, if, if one were to, to design a sacrifice for the sins of all mankind over all time, that sacrifice would have to be perfect. It would have to be, remember, uh, Christ would, our God would always say, uh, a lamb without blemish, uh, you know, sheep without blemish. Well, a, a perfect sacrifice would have to be without blemish. Well, how could such a thing ever be? The only way you could create a perfect sacrifice is, is through something or someone that is perfect. The only one that is perfect is the person of God. And so God had to put on that vessel of flesh to become the perfect sacrifice. And that vessel of flesh had to be born of a virgin because the vessel itself, that flesh, okay, normally the seed comes from man. Well, man is stained. All of us, every man, woman, even child, are stained because we live in vessels of flesh. God is spirit. Our souls are spirit. Our spirit came from God. God breathed life into Adam. That breath of life was the gift of the soul that we all have within us. Our life is our soul. So God, by putting on that stained, sickly vessel of flesh, well, the seed couldn't be from man. The seed had to be from God. The seed was from the Holy Spirit. Therefore, Jesus Christ, as the person of, of Christ, was not of man, but was of God. And since he lived a sinless life, he was that perfect, righteous, sinless sacrifice. Therefore, when Christ allowed himself to be tortured and crucified, remember, he asked God if there was another way, please make it so, because Christ knew what he would suffer. 
And yes, he suffered the beatings. He suffered the torture. He suffered the crucifixion. He suffered a mocking. And the cat and nine tails were literally, remember I told you, a cat and nine tails is, is, is a leather, uh, uh, you know, a whip with leather. But then within that, you have either bits of stone or bits of iron. And it literally just tears the flesh off your body. Yes, Christ suffered that. But the real torture for Christ was, remember, there was three hours of darkness while Christ was on the cross. During those three hours of darkness, God took all the sins of man over all time and laid it upon Christ. And that was the suffering, to feel the filth, the thickness of man's sin just invading your soul. It makes me want to vomit just thinking about it. Well, that was the true torture of Christ. But because he took all of our sins on himself, and at that time his blood was being shed, that is the perfect sacrifice. And that is, is the message that Peter is trying to teach uh, this nation of Israel, because this is a dramatic shift uh, uh, from their, their their faith, the way they were raised, even even their culture. This was new to them. Okay, it was new that faith in their Messiah is the way to salvation. Okay. All right. Let's continue. Okay, so Peter said, uh, now repent of your sins, turn to God so that your sins will be wiped away. And I've explained that. Very important. <clears throat> Verse 20. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. Now, this verse uh uh, different translations, uh, you know, will shift uh, this phrase, the times of refreshment. Now, um, the times of refreshment, I'm going to tell you a secret. Uh, it only occurs once in the New Testament. Uh, and this is something that um, when I was uh, doing my studies um, uh, for ordination, um this is something that theologians don't fully understand. And I've read, I have, I don't know how many commentaries. I pulled out uh, uh, dozens uh, to look over this idea of the times of refreshment. And a lot of commentaries, you'll notice when you, as a former professor of science, uh, I studied for my ordination after I was a professor just because I felt called to learn. Uh, I, I love to learn. Uh, but anyway, you can tell the, qu the quality of someone who decides to write a commentary. Uh, different people will do it for different reasons. I'll stop there. Uh, but a lot of them will just gloss over or ignore the idea of this times of refreshment. And a lot of people don't, don't fully... Uh, there, there's a few commentaries that address it, 
Uh, but what I'm going to do is not read you a commentary because I don't believe in that. I believe in referencing them from time to time, but let me pull up a translation that you may not have heard of. Where is it? I have so many different translations. Here it is. It's a Bible called the Good News Translation. And this Good News Translation uh, originally came out in the, uh, I think it was 1966. Uh, but what it does is it stays faithful to the Koine Greek, which a lot of our scriptures were written in, or the Aramaic and so forth. And it doesn't worry about being picky about this word or that word. And it's, it's what's called a thought for thought translation. And sometimes I'll pull this one out. But uh, what this translation does is it uses a phrase that speaks to me personally. Uh, you can uh, accept it or not. Uh, remember, don't listen to me. Uh, listen to the word. Read the word for yourself. Hopefully, I'm helpful at explaining some things that might, that that, uh, that might open the Holy Spirit to you some. But let me read these couple of verses from this Good News translation. Uh, I think there was there was a version in 1966, and there was an updated version in 1972. But but check this out. And see if this speaks to you. I'll start in verse 19. Peter says, Repent then and turn to God so that he will forgive your sins. If you do, times of spiritual strength will come from the Lord, and he will send Jesus, who is the Messiah he has already chosen for you. Now, notice here it doesn't say times of refreshment. But instead, it says, times of spiritual strength. Okay, that, that's, that, even saying that, sometimes, and I hope this happens to you, but I, I've been deep in Scripture for a long time now. But sometimes when I, I, read, I read the Word, when I read Scripture, in my back, right between my shoulder blades, I'll, I'll, I'll get sort of like a tingling sensation or an electric sensation. And, and that's how the Spirit speaks to me personally now. And this spiritual strength, this, this, this is something that's important to all Christians. And how do you, as a human being, define your spiritual strength? For example... Uh, picture yourself uh, living in a society where morality has fallen, which ours has right now. If you're a, a student of history, for example, throughout history, when morality falls, when homosexuality becomes accepted and even condoned and practiced openly, uh, every time throughout history, if, if, if you look at that, those civilizations have fallen. A great example is the Roman Empire. Another example is Sodom and Gomorrah, destroyed by God. 
Well, that's happened not only in America, but in many places throughout the world. And since homosexuality has become accepted, remember in the 80s, that's when AIDS first started. I can still remember the television. Uh, the first time I ever heard of AIDS, I was sitting in my fraternity house, Sigma Alpha Epsilon, a long time ago. And I remember seeing a, a news story on the television, and that's back when TVs were these large console boxes that you would set things on top of, you know, like uh, uh, clocks and things like that. Well, uh, on, on the TV show, when they were talking about um, AIDS for the first time, uh, the news story had pictures of monkeys, and that's where they believe that was the origin of, of AIDS. And today, as a matter of fact, just today, before I began studying to do this, uh, this Bible study, they mentioned that monkeypox has now been uh, stated as a global uh, pandemic. The, the World Health Organization says it's now an emergency. Okay. Well... In the 80s, AIDS was just first heard of, and it was largely with homosexuals. And we've gone from that in the 80s to around 2000 when homosexuality began to be accepted. Well, back in the 80s, homosexuality was mocked because faith was still stronger than in our society. Even Eddie Murphy had a great... Uh, comedy special back then and on that one movie he did uh, you know he, he made jokes and it was funny and people laughed at it well now we've gone from that to it being accepted and even condoned by some churches where if you study scriptures if you compare uh in uh in uh when when God handed out the laws to Moses, uh, homosexuality was a sin, and God said having sex with animals is a sin. Well, if you read the text between homosexuality or, or between having sexual relations with animals and then men having sex, men laying with men, homosexuality. Homosexuality is, is the adjectives used to describe it, make it worse in the eyes of God than having sex with animals. And that's something to think about. Okay? Well, that's, that's how far our society has fallen. And uh, so how do you define your spiritual strength? Our society has fallen this far. If our society falls fall, falls blah, falls far falls further, <laughs> which it will, would you let me get a drink here? I've gone a long way to make a point that's really important. Would you be able to stand in front of a crowd where people are mocking at you? And, and spitting on you and throwing things on you and stand up and say, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in God. Okay? That is a good way for you to measure for yourself your own spiritual strength. Okay? And that's what Peter is saying here. Let me read the good news version for you again over here. 
Repent then and turn to God so that he will forgive your sins. If you do, times of spiritual strength will come from the Lord and he will send Jesus, who is the Messiah, he has already chosen for you. Times of spiritual strength. How strong is your spiritual strength? How strong is the Holy Spirit within you? Can you stand in front of crowds that are just your friends who might not believe in God and talk about God, talk about Jesus, perhaps lead them to Jesus? How strong is your faith? Okay, think about it. Can you go to a party and talk to people, talk about football, talk about movies and say, hey, do you believe in God? Are you too afraid to talk to people who don't believe in Christ? If you are, that's a definition of your spiritual strength. But here's something else that's very important. How much do you love the people that you are with? If you really love them, you'd want them to go to heaven. You'd want them to have eternal life with God. Because there's only two choices, folks. Either you go to heaven or you don't. And that's something that the churches don't teach anymore. They don't talk about hell. If your friends don't believe in God and, and they're not going to heaven, they are going to hell. How much do you care about your friends? And that's why this verse here, uh, verse 20, which many commentators ignore, is so important. Many translations, even the King James, use times of refreshment. But the reason I pull up this good news is it's a, it's a concept for concept translation, keeping in mind the original language and the original historical context of the time. And these words, times of spiritual strength, speak to me. Okay. How is your spiritual strength? Okay. This is so, so important. And remember, Peter was talking to the people uh, 2,000 years ago. Okay. How strong was their spiritual strength where they couldn't recognize Jesus Christ right in front of them? Okay, right in front of them. How strong was their spiritual strength? Could you recognize Jesus Christ in front of you today? Could our churches today? Everybody says, oh, of course I could. Well, the people then probably thought so too, because remember, they didn't have internet. They didn't have television. They didn't have movies. They didn't have books. Okay? Their, their lives were their faith. I guess they had scrolls. Okay? They would go to their temples and they would pull out scrolls and their books were mostly their scrolls. Their papyri. Okay? And what they would read would be the Word. 
because in the Jewish faith back then, they were raised, their men were raised to learn how to read at the temple from the priests. Okay? So they probably thought their faith was great because they had good knowledge of the word. But the difference between knowledge of words and faith is the Holy Spirit. And how strong is the Holy Spirit in you? Okay, so I wanted to point that out. If you have a, 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 a written word, okay, in the form of a book, you might want to write for yourself times for spiritual strength there. Okay, because it's something you're not going to hear from many churches, and it's so, so important. How is your spiritual strength or if you have an iPad just do what I do in mine and I I uh, you know if you uh, have a way to make notes in your Bible like I do in mine I just literally put a note there uh, times of spiritual strength okay I think I've hammered on that enough but I hammered on it folks because it really is important okay let's go back to uh, okay Back to our NLT, then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. Verse 21, for he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. Listen carefully to everything he tells you. Then Moses said, Anyone who will not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from God's people. Okay, now a couple of things here. Um, well, first, uh, Moses uh, was revered by the Jews as, uh, well, their first and their greatest prophet. Okay? And so, uh, you know, the, it was, uh, Moses was like a, uh, what's the word? What is the word? Um, not a guide, but a, but a cookie-cutter idea of what their what their future prophet would be uh, uh, as what their Messiah would be. The only difference is culturally they had transcended, they transformed their faith again to believe that the Messiah would be a military conquer. Okay? But what they were, um, what Peter was referring to here uh, was Deuteronomy, uh, uh, what is that, 18? 18 and, yeah, 18 and 15. Here it is. This is what he was quoting. It's from Deuteronomy. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb 
on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not hear. Remember, Horeb was uh, originated, you know, as the burning bush. But anyway, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. The Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. Now, listen to that carefully, people. This is God speaking. If you do not listen to Christ, God will call you to account. Okay? When, when Christ comes to reign for his thousand-year reign, he is going to reign with a rod of iron. Okay? Those who disobey Christ will be executed. Okay? And what's going to be shocking for people of this generation, um, our culture in America and in the world at large, in general, not in all countries, has gotten away from punishment. And it's wrong. If you love your children, you punish them to correct wrong behavior so they will live a life that is right and good and true. If you want someone to live a good life, you punish them when they are wrong. We have grown into a society where our children are not raised by parents. If mothers work, they're not at home raising their children. And that's what scriptures command women to do. They run the home. But churches don't teach that anymore because it's not socially acceptable. Why is it not socially acceptable? Because our society has fallen away from faith. Okay? If we don't have two-parent homes where the men are there to discipline the children as they should then the children will not live lives leading to righteousness. And that's what's happened to our society. We've gone from that to where criminals are no longer punished. If someone commits murder, they're put to death immediately, period. Why? God commands it. What is the law of God? Well, in the Jewish faith, if there are two or more witnesses, that is enough. Okay? If someone commits murder, they're put to death. Now, when God handed down the law of Moses, 
uh, God said, uh, they're stoned to death. And the only reason it said they're stoned to death is a lot of people don't know Scripture, so they don't know this. But if you walk around uh, the land of Israel, there's a lot of stones. And that was the easiest way uh, to put someone to death. Okay, but the idea is that if someone is not living the life that God's commands, you take them out of that society. Okay, if someone commits crime, you take them out of that society. You put them to death. Why? So that behavior doesn't occur again and again and again and again and again. And we've gone from where criminals are punished to where they're set free. And so now we have a lot of criminals. I just saw on TV the other day where a four-year-old shot a policeman. And I saw on TV the other day, watching the news, where a child was running around in the streets in its underwear, and it was swearing at a policeman and hitting a policeman. This child was clearly not raised properly. Okay? If you don't remove the criminal element from your society, you will not have a society of goodness. Law and order is necessary. Why? God commanded it. Okay? And that's why Peter is pointing out here in verse 23. Anyone who will not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from God's people. And if our churches are not teaching the word, they don't know God's law. They don't know God's commands. And if they don't know God's commands, how can they follow them? That's what churches are supposed to be. Teach the truth. That's why I'm here. Verse 24, Peter continues. Starting with Samuel, every prophet spoke about what is happening today. You are the children of those prophets, and you are included in the covenant God promised to your ancestors. For God said to Abraham, through your descendants, all the families on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant Jesus, he sent him first to you people of Israel to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. And that's what we need in the United States today. And that's what we need in the world today. We need to turn back from our sinful ways. Our nation, our world has fallen away from God. The only way we can turn back from our sinful ways is to study the word 
learn the word, know how God wants us to live. Once we learn how God wants us to live, we can begin acting properly. And then, hopefully, find elected officials who actually believe in God and live as God wants us to live and lead how God wants his leaders to lead. If we don't have elected officials of faith, our nation is lost as it is today. We are truly lost as a nation. Okay, that is the end of Acts chapter 3. If you'd like to get a hold of me, feel free. My email address is me, M-E, at goodfriar.com. Or go to goodfriar.com. But as always, I'm going to leave you with God's blessing. Heavenly Father, as I raise my right hand, please extend through me your blessing, your love, your blessing of peace, your grace, as I extend to your listeners, Numbers 6, 24, 26. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for listening. Until next time, God bless.